0: and welcome to the WSU Wheat Beat Podcast. I'm your host, Drew Lyon, and I want to thank you for joining me as we explore the world of small grains production and research at Washington State University. We have weekly discussions with researchers from WSU and the USDA ARS to provide you with insights into the latest research on wheat and barley production. If you enjoy the WSU Wheat Beat Podcast, do us a favor and subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcasting app. And leave us a review while you're there so others can find the show, too. My guest today is Camille Stieber. Camille is a U.S. Department of Agricultural Scientist with the Agricultural Research Service. She has an adjunct faculty appointment with the Department of Crop and Soil Sciences at Washington State University. She obtained her Ph.D. from the University of Chicago in Molecular Genetics, And then she did her postdoctoral work on seed germination at the University of Toronto. She has been with the USDA ARS for 20 years, working on seed germination, pre-harvest sprouting, and the falling numbers problem in wheat. Hello, Camille. Hello, Drew. So, falling numbers. We hear a lot about that, a little more in some years than others. This year, we're hearing it a bit more. Tell us a little bit about falling numbers and what's the falling number test that people are always referring to?
1: The falling numbers test is uh, designed to detect the presence of alpha amylase, an enzyme in wheat grain, uh, basically by making uh, gravy out of the flour. Okay. And uh, so if you have this enzyme alpha amylase in your wheat grain, it will digest starch into uh, sugars or shorter starch chains. And when the starch gets digested like that, it loses its ability to gel when you make gravy. So the inability to make gravy is an indicator that you're going to have problems with poor end-use quality, cakes that fall, bread that doesn't rise properly, or sticky noodles. Um, Because of this, uh, our customers abroad are very interested in the falling number They will only accept wheat with falling numbers above 300 seconds, so we don't want our numbers to fall too far.
0: So we don't call it the alpha amylase test, we call it the falling numbers test, and that's Explain a little bit why it's called falling numbers. That's I think some people. Well, the, it, it's, the, it's an indirect measure, but yeah, people they, if you don't understand how it's done, they might not understand <laughs> quite why why that name came up. It's
1: uh, when so the machine mixes gravy by moving a stirrer up and down in a slurry of uh, water and flour, and after it has stirred for sixty seconds it drops the stir and it make it measures how much time it takes the stir to fall through the gravy okay and if it takes more than less than 300 seconds to fall then you have an unacceptable amount of starch digestion okay and uh, our customers really feel that that's a good indicator for them of whether or not they're going to have problems with poor baking quality
0: Okay, there, there are a number of tests done to look at baking quality. Why did you get interested in the falling numbers test?
1: Oh, uh, I actually started off with an interest in seed germination and pre-harvest sprouting. Okay. But it turns out that pre-harvest sprouting is one way that you wind up with alpha amylase in your grain. And uh, so, I, when we first started having problems with low falling numbers in 2011, Aaron Carter and Michael Pumphrey, the two WSU uh, wheat breeders, asked me if I would collaborate with them on a project looking at breeding for higher falling numbers. And that was how this whole crazy business got started.
0: So (laughs) so breeding for high... Falling numbers is basically breeding for low alpha amylase or just? Yes. Okay.
1: They're inversely Versely related.
0: Okay. Very and good.
1: Uh, there are two causes of low falling numbers. The one I started off looking at was pre-harvest sprouting. So pre-harvest sprouting is, you know, simply germination. If the wheat, if mature wheat gets rained on um, and it doesn't have enough starting seed dormancy, it will begin to germinate on the mother plant. And producing alpha amylase to digest the starch. And this is just a natural part of seed germination. That starch is there in the seed in order to act as a fuel source for seedling growth. Right. So we like having our alpha amylase when we first plant our seeds. For example, if you plant your seeds deeply, you need that alpha amylase there so that the seedling can use the endosperm to fuel its growth so that it can clear the soil, you know, grow long, clear the soil um, before it can start doing photosynthesis after it gets out into the sun. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's a problem if it happens at harvest time when we want to send it off to to be turned into baked goods.
0: Okay, so it's, it can't be that you just uh, get rid of it or you would have a seed that would never germinate. Uh, or
1: it would germinate, right. but the seedling wouldn't grow very okay. well okay. if it didn't have artificial light supplied or or sunlight okay. supplied. Okay. And since we like to plant our wheat deeply, especially in the dry part of the state, uh, we need that fuel source okay. for our seedlings. So it's
0: kind of a fine tuning. You want it, but only at the right time. Simon, right it's,
1: it's yeah. just, that's just what biology <laughs> is like. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. You say you got started with um, um, pre-harvest sprouting, but you've moved on from there. What what are so some this, of the other issues?
1: This new can of worms called late maturity alpha amylase. So the problems that we had with low falling numbers in 2011 and 2013 were mostly pre-harvest sprouting. But we started realizing that some people were having low falling numbers problems that wasn't really associated with rainfall. One farmer in particular, Brian Cochran, sent me his SY ovation in 2013 and said, look, I've got my rainfall records. I don't understand why this stuff has low falling numbers. And when we looked at the distribution of alpha amylase in that grain, we realized that Brian was having trouble with something called LMA. The production of alpha amylase, not during germination, but during grain filling. During development, so at the moment, LMA is considered to be a developmental defect, resulting in alpha amylase deposition during grain filling. When instead of converting starch into sugar, you should be turning starch sugar into starch. Okay. So um, it it all started there, and then we started. We saw more LMA problems in 2014, and then in 2016, you know, it just it was an enormous problem, actually, with LMA. We, we did have rain in some places, so I thought we were looking at pre-harvest sprouting initially, but when we did further testing, we realized that we were seeing problems with LMA. And this year, we had trouble with LMA without pre-harvest sprouting. Okay. So the problem this year was entirely LMA. And um, so we've been doing falling numbers testing in the variety trials and posting it on the web. This means that the soft white winter and hard winter variety trials this year are very good indicators of LMA resistance when you find the ones that have higher falling numbers. Um, so, farmers might want to take a look at uh, our website where we post the variety trial information. It's on uh, steberlab.org. So that's S T E B E R L A B. .org. The B in Stever is B as in boy. Um, you could probably also find it by searching for PNW falling numbers.
0: Okay, and I think we have a, a connection on our wheat and small grains website that will take people to your to that particular website Great. where all that data is uh, located. So that's uh, an excellent source. So um, a defect, how did this defect come about? Has it always been there? Or we, and we just discovered it? Or is it something that came in with some germplasm that we don't know about and now has been crossed into lots of things? We have to go find it and get it out of there? What's the What's the story well, there?
1: Well, the LMA was first described uh, by an Australian named Daryl Mares in, in Australian germplasm. And we pretty much... It, it hasn't been on our radar until recently. Okay. And... Uh, Daryl thought that it came from germ uh, germplasm, that when people were doing crosses to wild relatives of wheat to bring in new sources of disease resistance, that they were accidentally moving in um, these, these genes that were causing late-maturity alpha-amylase, or LMA. Okay. Uh, so that's Daryl's theory.
0: And Simit, um, for some of those people who may not know, is an international... Wheat, Wheat breeding, breeding... Program in Mexico, is it?
1: Yes, right? yes, yeah. yeah so, uh, so okay. yeah, that's Daryl's theory. I've seen LMA in varieties like Eltan, which really doesn't have any cement germplasm in it, but I can't I can't uh, dispute it, it. It still could have come from wide crosses to bring in okay. disease resistance.
0: Okay, so it's been around and it's just kind of come onto our radar screen so now we're looking for it. One of those things, if you look for something, you're bound to find it, Yeah. Kind of thing.
1: In terms of testing wheat for LMA susceptibility, it, it is, in my opinion, one of the biggest pain in the necks I've ever worked with. <laughs> 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 it, the wheat is only susceptible during a very specific window of development, and we have to be out there in the field and find the wheat at the right stage, get it into a cold chamber, and then all of that has to be ground up and uh, put through alpha amylase enzyme assays. Um, 2017, we ran testing on something like 1,200 lines. Last summer on 1,300 lines. It basically takes us the whole following year until the start of the next uh, field season season to to get get all the testing done. Wow. But that's really been our major effort. We're pl- really playing catch-up here. Okay. We need to get rid of the LMA susceptibility in our winter wheat.
0: Okay. So how are you and your collaborators planning on going about doing that?
1: Well, we're, we're screening elite germplasm uh, from the breeding programs because we want the wheat breeders to be able to find the more resistant lines and stuff that's ready to be released. So I'm hoping that farmers will be seeing more and more resistant varieties uh, as new releases come out. And uh, we're mapping those genes. We need to have molecular markers so that Camille can do fewer LMA tests in the (laughs) field next year. Okay.
0: And how's that coming? Are you finding markers that are useful or is that?
1: We've got data. Can't tell you yet.
0: Okay. Stay Stay tuned. tuned. There you go. So... um, as you and your collaborators work on that, what are some things farmers can do to help reduce their risk of low falling numbers?
1: Well, they can make use of the website that I mentioned. Okay. And I, I there are, there's a lot of variation in falling numbers, but there are certain varieties that are always at the bottom or often at the bottom of the pile for low falling number. Okay. Um, they need to steer clear of those varieties like uh real. Jasper's a new one. Maybe I'll stop there, but you take a look at the website. Okay. And uh, look for the ones that are at the top. Uh, LCS Hulk actually did pretty well this year.
0: Okay. So we'll make sure we get in our our, um, show notes uh, that link so people can go to it because it is a wealth of information. It's the best thing out there that we have right now, and hopefully that information will move into some of the guides that and come out to growers yes. so they can see that over time. So
1: Yeah, and uh, right now we're working on um, statistical analysis of that variety trial data, trying to come up with a good objective way of saying here's the probability that any particular variety is likely to, say, be over 300 seconds so that you, know, you can quantitate I, I've had a lot of farmers complain to me that, you know, we now have data going all the way back to 2013 and it's a pain to look at it all. Yeah. They want some way to summarize it.
0: And, and as you said before, there's quite a bit of variability. Different varieties at different sites may behave. So it's, it's hard to, except yeah. for a few, a few of the really bad ones or the really good ones, it's hard to really make fine that separations. Is- and that's
1: Absolutely yeah, true. Yeah. I mean, the other thing that drives me crazy about LMA is that it's re- it's so uh, variable that, you know, you wind up being able to see the extremes best. The ones in the middle are yeah. tough. And
0: dude. I think one of the frustrations of the growers is, despite all this variability, that 300 number is just rock solid. You know, they, they, uh, buyers don't seem to want to buy anything that falls a little bit below that. Um, and so despite the fact that there's all this variability, this, it's it's a set deal, and uh, they have to live with it.
1: Yeah, and, you know, the following numbers test was invented back in the 1960s. It wasn't intended to be such a, you know, line in the sand. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's being used in a way that's not the way it was originally intended. It's not a surgical kind of a number.
0: Right. So... so. And I th- I believe there's some people trying to find different approaches, but so far nothing well, has proven all that successful, or we're is that true?
1: Interested in developing an ELISA assay for low falling numbers. Uh we have a collaborative project going on right now with uh a biochemist at WSU and uh Andy McCubbin and um wheat breeder Michael Pumphrey. Uh an ELISA assay is is a lot like a pregnancy test. It uses the same sort of technology, okay. um, where we should be able to estimate the falling number based on detection of the alpha amylase protein in the meal. Similar sorts of assays are used right now to detect vomitoxin, so that you know if you have da- if you have damage from Fusarium head blight. Right. Um, okay. So. If we develop a tool like that, I can't say that our foreign customers will accept that as a replacement for falling number, but it certainly provides us with a tool at the elevator to sort the good from the bad so that we don't mix our low-falling number wheat with our high-falling num- number wheat. Because alpha amylase is an enzy- enzyme, it's a catalyst, which may- means it takes very few bad apples to spoil the lot. Okay. Uh, so we need to protect the value of our wheat.
0: Well, it sounds like there's some interesting things happening on the uh, low-falling numbers um, battlefield, <laughs> and our listeners need to check out your website uh, steberlabs.org.
1: Steberlab.
0: Lab singular. Singular.org. And just uh, keep up with this because uh, there's a lot of effort going into it right now. Yes. Um, so hopefully, some good, good uh, changes coming. I guess. Yes. Well, thank you very much, Camille. I appreciate your time.
1: My pleasure. Thank you for inviting me.
0: Thanks for joining us and listening to the WSU Beat Podcast. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcasting app so you never miss an episode. And leave us a review while you're there. If you have questions for us that you'd like to hear addressed on future episodes, please email me at drew.lion at wsu.edu. You can find us online at smallgrains.wsu.edu. You can also reach out on Facebook and Twitter at WSU Small Grains. The WSU Wheat Beat Podcast is a production of Connors Communications in the College of Agricultural, Human, and Natural Resource Sciences at Washington State University. I'm Drew Lyon. We'll see you next week.